that sound going through the microphone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Alright, we're going to use that Here tape. Delicious. Um, ignore my coffee mug, everybody. That is broken. It was... What does a, it say? It was my first Father's Day present. <laughs> Why is it broken? Because it's just probably some cheap Chinese-made mug in a factory. Probably cost five cents to make. I have a cheap Chinese-made car, so... <laughs> If it breaks down, I'm going to yeah. crack up. Like, yeah, like, should have yeah. spent the extra $10. Yeah, should have paid more. Um, welcome, everybody. 2024. Happy f- New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Happy f- New Year, guys. Um, Happy New Year. You know, yeah, we're going to scrap housekeeping. The maid is gone. We we booted her. So no more housekeeping. Um, you get music when you get music. Shut up about it. All right, so... Um, 2024, what are we talking about today? Episode 33? Yes. Yes, episode 33. Episode 33. So, welcome everybody to Something to Scream About, and this is 2024, as Cam said. Mm-hmm. We, um, yeah, we're just going to make a few changes this year, um, in terms of, like, just how we approach things, as Cam said. We're just going to ditch the housekeeping element of the show. Um, we're going to talk about a few more in-depth topics that are sort of more interesting to us rather than like talking about other things to do with the band and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just kind of unnecessary. We're just kind of re- we're just kind of recapping what we've been doing and we're just like do people really care that hey, we're writing new music and it's like no shit. Like it's kind of we're just like everyone's writing music. So Yeah, we're just your music will come out when it comes out. T- content will come out when it comes out. Um the potty is going to be about mixing, mastering, producing music onto a really cool guests from bands that are actually out there doing stuff with their careers and getting insight from people's minds and all the cool stuff, nerdy stuff that we enjoy. Yeah. So today we're going to nerd out again. We got part two, uh, last, uh, maybe not last episode, that was the recap. The episode before that we were doing how to record or write and record a song. So get from the initial concept of the idea through to sending your stems off for mixing. And today we thought, like, let's go and then do the other side of it. Um, something that we are on the receiving end of sometimes is getting some stems from people and then how do we then approach mixing that into a song. So, yep. yeah, <clears throat> so basically um, let's start at the beginning, okay? Um, we're going to talk mainly about metal music in this instance because we are primarily talking in the metal genre, but we'll relate it back to other things um, and other genres that we have experience with as well. We also do hip-hop and EDM and stuff outside of metal. so Yeah, Yeah, so it's helpful to kind of take those mixing concepts as well. And um, something you mentioned before we started, Cam, is that this is obviously, you know, for people who are mixing um, songs or want to get into mixing, but then also we want to say that this is just our way of approaching it and there are many, many ways to get a similar outcome. Um, You've just got to learn different synths, different plugins, different whatever it might be. Yeah, there's different ways of mixing. There's so many different ways, um, you know, people go into mixing. So we're not the be-all, end-all of information. We're just going to put out that disclaimer because we might mix things a certain way because it works for us, but another mixing engineer might be like, no way, I would do it this way. And, you know, there's so much information out there. Um, so, yeah, just take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. And just, mm. you know, if you think something we say is cool and you want to try it, give it a go on your mixes and there you go. Nice. Yeah, so... Let's start at the beginning. We're going to get some stems, okay? Imagine... Multi-tracks, Jordan. Come on, mate. Multi-tracks. We're going to get nah, some... Stem, multi- wait, stems, multi-tracks, they're the same thing. I'm t- kind of taking the piss there. <laughs> like, you know, some music producer people, they're like, oh, multi-tracks are everything, and stems yes. are only regarding to the... Okay, terminology, who cares? They're fucking stems, bro. Yes. So we got, <laughs> we've got the audio files the audio of each individual files. track um, that's sent to you, okay? And then most of the time, what... What should happen if you've gotten some decent stems is when you drag and drop those into your brand new project is that they should all be in line, they should all be in the right place and then, you know, hopefully have somewhat of a basic volume mix. Yeah, there's nothing worse when a client will send you multi-tracks or let's say in this sense, in this Essence? Instance. 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 A band member sends you their uh, stems or multi-tracks and they're you know, like in different spots or they're not timed up right or their volumes are really inconsistent. So yeah, that's probably the first thing I would do in a mix. 
Because you might have like some, like you, you've recorded a backing layer, but then that layer is just as loud as the main layer. And then the mix engineer doesn't actually know where you intended that sound to be. Mm. So that if, should be done in the production phase. Yeah. So in your production phase, you want to pretty much almost, you're not going to set your levels like mixing wise, setting your levels. Like we're not talking about gain staging yet. That'll come later. It's more so, yeah, like, you know, that's the main layer because it's like up front, you want it up front. And mm. then let's say you have like a nice little lead line. Um, you know, you can kind of just help set where things are by having things set at a, at a default level of like, okay, I know where everything's mm. going to be. So when the multi-tracks are sent to the mixing engineer, we can go, oh, yeah, cool. I can see where everything is. And especially things being timed up, right? Like there's amount of times where people are giving me stems or uh, multi-tracks and then like they intended a sound to come in at the verse and it comes in halfway through the chorus because they haven't exported their multi-track correctly. Yeah. And you're like, well, you know, that's also important, making sure that if you intended that sound, that lead or whatever to start at the verse, make sure when you export your stems, you start a new project blank, you redrop all of your stems back in and you just double check that everything has, every waveform has been bounced out to the correct spot because mm. um, the mixing engineer doesn't know your song. Yeah. Obviously you do if you're the one doing the mixing, but... Yeah, stuff like that's important. Too. Yeah, they don't know where where to begin with a lot of that stuff. And if there's a sound they don't know where it fits, it's usually going to disappear. They'll just delete it or something. Or it saves double handling too. Yeah, like you go, messaging. hey, man, like that that's supposed to be here. Like, and, it's, and, and the amount of times the producer or the mixing engineer gets blamed for shit that the band did. <laughs> like, yeah. I've had people send me the worst, the worst DI from a guitar ever. I won't name them. Um and, you know, like clipping and like squashed and like, oh, why does the amp tone not sound good? And I'm like, dude, like the DI you sent me is terrible. Like, sorry, bro. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully speaking from, you know, uh, last episode or second last episode, we we went through all of that. So yeah. how, how yeah. you can make sure your stems are really good. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go and check it out. Um, now we've dragged and dropped all of our stems in and – Fingers crossed, they're all in the right place. They're all in a rough volume um, and that kind of thing. Uh, Should I go through what I do? You go through what you do? Yeah, well... We, we, me and Jordan don't even mix the same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So why oh, don't you start... Well, what's today, your... ladies and gentlemen. My eyes are killing me. <laughs> so and I'm sunburnt because I started a new job and on, I'm out and doing open homes all day on Saturdays and my I've just been in the sun, so I'm like... I You're look a, like a bloody orange. That's, that's why, well, we went with pink today. So to, to, <laughs> that's why to we match, did. yeah, the light, lighting's pink. pink. You went purple, bro. Oh. You stuffed it. I'm colorblind. You one job. <laughs> can, oh. can you change that right now? Oh, maybe that is it's good. pink. It's as pink as your skin color. Yeah, good enough. Anyway, um, <laughs> what are we talking about? So, like, so let's like, say I begin, right? Yeah, like, how would you start? So, yeah, all the basics are done, right? We're, okay, we're getting into it now. First thing I do is I set levels and I get everything to a volume, not with the faders. I, I try to leave the faders alone. What do you like do it with? With the sample itself, with the waveform itself. So you make the, you change, so every single channel is still at zero. Yeah. And you just change the volume of the clip. Yeah. So you have your waveforms, you can change the volume of the waveform. And this is the volume that's entering into your like fader into like your mixer channel right and if you move the fader you're moving that entire chain's volume um like last same thing as like you know if you have all of your effects your compression your eq your saturation all the you know till the last thing on that channel on that mixer channel if you go and move the fader that's moving it post all of those effects so i like to set my levels before all of those effects and then have everything sounding somewhat balanced where I can hear every element. You obviously got to have all the clashing of frequencies because you haven't mixed yet, but like a, in a volume standpoint, I'll have everything sitting like volume-wise where I can hear every element and I'm like, am I cool with it? That's really interesting because that's totally opposite already to what I do. Yeah, that just that's just, I just like getting things to a, you know, because what I do is when I start adding effects, I try to make sure that the volume of something when it enters the plugin is all consistent, hence why you want when the recording stage all of your volumes to be where they're supposed to be. Because you don't, if the volume is like, if the waveform's like this, like really tiny waveform, and it's coming in like 12 dB quieter, that plugin is going to treat that, um, that sample, the sound 
differently to how if that sound was getting pumped into that plug-in 12 dB louder, right? Like yeah, it's not, okay. It's not gonna it's not gonna hit the ratios the same. It's the the threshold. It's not gonna pass. Like so I see like, what you mean. Yeah. So what like in in a way that I would do that too. I would make say for example. So I'll go through and do all the fader movement. So I'm shifting everything so it's in not quite. So say for example, like you just said, there's a really quiet uh, vocal line and mm. it's it's a really small waveform. I will then boost say if I've I've matched the 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 decibels on the fader and it's minus 10 is where it's supposed to sit. If I will then boost the waveform gain so it's a nice chunky thing. So exactly like you said, so then it can it's enter exactly the plugins and things. But I'll yeah. compensate how much I've boosted it by taking it off the fader as well. I also in Ableton have ut utilities where I can automate gain and things as well. So my yeah. fa my faders are just simply for balancing volume. Yeah, right. I also find that once it's gone through the effects plugins, if it started out at the right volume, unless you've got all of your output volumes and things matching that the whole way through your chain, it's probably going to be quieter or louder in at the end of the that, chain anyway. That, that's what I do with like, um, like when I have the level set, right? Like with the volumes of every single waveform stem, like every individual stem is set at a volume without the fader. That way when it goes into my chain, I always try to make sure that the volume coming out of the chain is... The, uh, the same volume as when it went in if not just slightly louder mm. but because what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to create perceived loudness and i'm trying to save headroom now there's all of this talk about oh your headroom you don't need or the, you know your headroom's a fucking myth and whatever i don't care it's how i learned if my mixes sound good i'm happy with them so i'm going to keep doing it that way but like what i try to do is as my sound goes through each individual VST within my chain, like each each plugin, right? As it goes in, it's set at a level, and as it comes out, I want the audio level to be pretty much the same. If not, it can be slightly louder, and then it goes into the next plugin, and then the next plugin, and the next plugin, and then I am adjusting the outputs of each individual mm. plugin as it goes through. Yeah. And if I mute it, what I want to happen, this is what I do, is I'll find, I'll grab the whole chain once I'm once I'm done. And I want to mute every single plugin and hear the dry raw sound. And then I want to unmute every single plugin and hear the mix sound. And I want the mix sound to sound way louder, punchier, or whatever, whatever I'm trying to achieve with the mixing, like whatever effects I'm trying to achieve. But I want the volume to sound almost the same. Because mm. what I want to do is do this across all of the boards of every single mixer channel with every single stem being mixed individually as to how I need to mix that particular sound. And then that way, if I'm muting everything, you get all of the raw sounds and then I unmute everything and put every single plugin across every single chain back on, you have all of the mixing and all of the effects that I want with every sound, but the volume is almost the same. It might be slightly louder a dB mm. or so, but I'm trying to keep it the same. That way, when I go to boost everything in the master, I'm pushing everything. I know it's different to how you do it, but I'll push everything up in the master, raise the noise floor, use that headroom that I have to create those like extra harmonics and saturation and clipping that I want in the master without something being too loud because if you have something that's too loud bass is usually the main thing that people will stuff up because bass sounds really good when it's like up front and loud in the mix but then you go to master and as you're pushing all of these volumes up you're actually hitting that limiter way too early like it's like already compressing before like because if you've got sounds up here that are really loud and sounds that are really quiet if you're pushing it into a limiter by the time the sound down here gets up to that volume it's like everything's you're just getting like I find like you're lowering the dynamic range too much, mm. which is, you know, but that's like mastering, but that's yeah. pretty much how I do it. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree. Um, keeping it consistent, coming in and out of every plugin and leaving headroom is important. Um, unless you're going to deliberately go for an effect where you are having it smashed by something yeah. on purpose. But then where I, would you are do, I would do like a hard clipper in that sense where I would like Well, it really depends because like, like there's so many instances where, yes, for loudness and as you say, perceived loudness, like um, I'll give a quick example for those who don't understand what that means. But like say if you had the sound of a gunshot recorded 
on your thing. It's a very, very loud sound and you can, or an explosion. You can hear that it's the initial source, the actual sound itself is a loud sound as opposed to someone whispering. But then you can, so, so you can create the sound and, and add things to the sound to make it seem and be perceived louder than it actually is. <clears throat> um, so with having all of these things and then having the intention to go and deliberately squash something, whether it is through distortion, creates all this overdrive or this fuzz, or if you literally just want to make it loud and just clip it, like you said, you know, you're just soft clipping or hard clipping, whatever it is, just to kind of shave off the top transient, or you want to over compress it or multiband compress it or saturate it or anything like that, then you know, you can go ahead and do these things deliberately. But leaving that headroom so that everything is uniform, I like that. I do sim- something very similar, but I think it's just in a different stage. Yeah. Um, and obviously each uh, DAW has a different way of workflow. So you you could have, like in FL Studio, it's a very different layout. So it's easier to do certain things over Ableton and vice versa. So that's kind of... I would start with the volumes as well. Um, is there any particular instrument or thing like way that you run through the volumes? Like I would start with the main like sort of bass elements where like a bass and a kick drum, for example, to get this starting point. Because I know that the kick relatively in metal music, same as in dance music and I guess in hip hop, I guess to a certain extent too, you want you want as like a an upfront element or, yeah. or, and you know, I'm a drummer, so maybe that's biased why I pick it's the a, drums. It, but. it depends on, in metal, it depends on what the kick's doing. Like if the kick's spaced out, nice punchy upfront side chain and everything. Um, but if your kick's on, yeah, I tend to like push it back more in the mix. Cause I suppose that's more of a mixing decision once that you're working out what goes <laughs> forward. Go and like, Jordan, you keep talking. I'll be okay. Back. Cam's going to go get some medication. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Cam's, Cam's uh, yeah, got some hay fever. So basically, uh, if I'm using the drums, I'm going to start with the kick drum because if I know where that sits, then I know where everything else can sit afterwards. So if we've got the bass uh, that I can match with the kick drum and then I'm looking on the master volume or I'm looking, you know, wherever I can see the, to- the, the final um, waveform size or dB volume or whatever it might be on your door, I can match the kick and the bass so that they fit really nicely together. Then I've got a real starting point to build everything else on top of that. So you might start with your rhythm guitars and you might bring them in and balance those compared to the bass and balance it compared to the kick drum. You might start building the drums on top of that so you've got the drums there as a nice foundation. Um, It's all just balancing volumes and turning up the gain or turning down different things until you get to a point where things are sounding nice and balanced without having to go in and add anything else yet. You'll get these moments where things are starting to poke out and frequencies are, are, you know, ringing out to you or there's things that need fixing and it's really hard to not dive into those straight away until you've got all your volumes sorted. And I know Cam likes to do this too. We just balance absolutely everything in the mix first so that it's at a volume that we can work with before going into the nitty gritty of all the, the, you know, the whistles and taking out harsh frequencies and all of, and making room for different things and all of that. So starting point, get the, you know, for me, get the drums and the bass sitting nicely, add in the rhythm guitars and build it up from there. You can make some creative decisions as well in terms of, um, how you layer certain stuff. So say if you've got like these backing vocals and things like that, you can just make some creative decisions and chop it up bits of the, the waveform. You're back. Welcome. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, we yeah, are good. You're good. Um, we, can, we can chop up bits of the waveform. So, so for instance, there might be a backing vocal part that is too quiet and that you want it to just pump through, but the whole rest of the track is at a certain volume. So you might cut out that little clip and just boost that bit so that it fits in that instance. And that's part of gain staging is just making sure each little bit sits at the volume where, you know, it's, it's sounding good. So yeah, I'll just put that to you now that you're back. What's the, like, I just said, I build drums, bass, and then sort of build it up from there. Is that kind of how you would work or is it? I mean, every mix is different. I'll, I, 
it depends on wherever my attention takes me. Like something might grab my attention. I'm like, oh, that needs to be. Well, that, that's what I just said quicker. is like, um, it's so hard not to like go straight into Hyper something that like, yeah. yeah, some whistle might get you. And then you're like, far out. I'm now yeah. mixing guitars. Which is and probably, probably the wrong thing to do, to be honest. Um, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like if I've gotten DI, I tend, I'll like to reamp the tone first. And I don't reamp the tone to the final tone. I just give it, you know, um, the amp that I think will suit the genre of metal that we're doing. Same with the impulse responses. I'll pick, you know, an impulse response that's representing the the right cabinet, you know, like a Mesa Boogie or, you know, something like that, um, that matches, again, the type of music that we're making and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll just get that down and I won't worry too much about gain and um, EQ settings or all that. I just want to have a something distorted guitar tone that fits and then I'll work from there. Um, yeah, so like I, I get all the volumes right. I use a VU meter plugin as well um, just because it gives you it, – I'll put it on the master channel and what it does, it'll listen to every single element of your mix at the same time because it's on the master and – you'll have a little needle that moves. And when it hits zero, you essentially you can set how much headroom you want. So I usually go between negative three to negative six. So I like I usually go like negative six headroom or something. Um, and when it hits zero, I know I'm hitting negative six. And when it starts hitting positive one, positive two, that means you're pushing past your headroom. So I, and I'll, I'll find what element that is. Let's say my snare's hitting and I'm like, oh, every time that snare hits, it's going into positive one, positive two. So I'll just bring the volume of that snare down um, on the fader that's when i start using the faders towards yeah. the end towards yeah. the end of the mixing um process and then what i'll do is in order to set final volumes and stuff after i've mixed then i'll start doing um what i call audio relationships so it's the relate you what you want in mixing is you want all of the sounds to talk to each other you don't – it's not just like, oh, the, the, I want the kick drum to be punchy, so I'm going to compress the fuck out of it. I'm going to boost at 60 hertz and 70 hertz so the sub of the kick is really punchy and in your face, and I'm going to get rid of some mud around 250. That's all well and good. It's all fun doing that kind of EQ moves and everything else, but that's just shaping and stuff. That's not actually going to help your mix. Uh, it'll help your mix, but it won't, like, help the balance of everything. I feel like really good mixes – everything has its place especially in the stereo field and the stereo shaping which we'll get into a little bit later um but i every sound needs to sit in its spot have its place have its eq shape where it's moving some elements out of the way for something else but it's being boosted somewhere else to make up for whatever and then i have side chaining and compressors on different buses and everything is routed to each other and speaking to each other for instance like i will always route my um snare and vocal to the guitar bus I mean, not always the snare but if i can't get the snare punchy and coming through then i'll also do the snare but let's just talk vocals for now I'll have all of my vocals on individual mixer channels. They've all got their individual effects because everything's being mixed differently. We'll go into that as well. This is going to be a good episode. Uh, I'm just thinking <laughs> of all the shit I'm going to say. Um, and let's just say all of my vocals are now grouped to one final vocal bus with a really slow attack and a really uh, – sorry, a really long attack and a really long release. I don't want it fast and like – I want it nice and controlled and slow because I'm I'm fast attack and faster re a release. I'm more on like the – I use them more on like the direct vocal on the direct vocal chain. But when I'm sending multiple vocals to like one vocal bus, I like the compressor to just slightly just grab everything as a group. I'm not trying to like squeeze mm. it all on the bus. I'm trying to do that on the individual takes. Um, and then I'll side chain those vocals to the guitar bus. And then what I'll do is, or vice versa, whatever the thing is. And then I'll have like soothe or something right um and then what it'll do is the guitars will listen to the input of the vocal and every time the vocal comes in it'll just in whatever pocket i choose you, that's the best that's the biggest thing is that you're not ducking the entire volume of the guitars right otherwise every single time the vocal comes in the guitars are just going to get drowned out and you're like well you want to hear the guitars too right it's just in this you can pick like a field like like a like a mono you can make it mono right and go i only want like this vocal here Every time that singing part comes in, I want that part of the guitars from like, let's say 500 hertz to 3000 hertz or so, oh, 1000 to 3000 hertz, for instance. Like, let's say that's where the vocalist is most prominent in their voice. You can call, cool, I want to just 
slightly duck those frequencies of the guitar out and it only does it when the input of the voice comes through and the voice, the, the, the audio of the voice is now speaking and communicating with the, the audio of the guitars and the guitars are moving in unison with the voice. And when the voice stops and stops singing and they go back and then something else happens, now that frequency that was getting ducked comes back up and now you can hear it again. Because I think where people go wrong... You see this in a lot of amateur tutorials on YouTube is they go, oh, the vocal's sitting here and then they just duck the EQ. Well, that's that's um comes from how it used to be done um, because, you know, like th this day and age, we are fortunate enough with things like Soothe and Pro-Q and all of these things that have dynamic listening ability that can listen to something else and in real time adapt to the <clears throat> frequencies that are going on. And that never used to be something that you could do. So you'd have physical hardware in the studio where you see all these people with these big physical things and they're tw twisting all these knobs and they're basically, as you say, trying to build the relationship between the sounds so that it's all cohesive. And it took me many years to be able to actually hear what the intentional relationship stuff is in a mix. So like, for example... Uh, in 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 dance music, when I'm using a kick and a bass, like we want to have when the kick is punching, that's what's coming through. That's what's hitting you in the chest. But then it's got to get out of the way for the bass. So they need to kind of like dum chum dum chum dum chum. They need to have this like kind of relationship of of working together. And you can just put one then the other, and it kind of works. But once you really listen to how they're playing off each other and, and as you say, isolate certain frequencies so you can really hear it. So if you isolated the low end, you can hear this consistent low end without... Uh, so it sounds like one sound, like the sounds are gelling together. They're not like one sound, then another one, then another one, then another one. It's like these two have come together to make this work well. And... It, it took me a long time to be able to really hear that. So if you're opening up your mixes and you're kind of going, yeah, okay, I've got to, you know, balance this and make room for this and stuff, you've really got to listen to what intentionally is poking out at the listener. So as Cam said, when the vocal comes in and that's supposed to be up front, you want that up front. So if there's a mixing technique that you can do, like side chaining or, or using these dynamic ducking uh, plugins, they can actually interact and have intention for that vocal to come forward and pop something else back and then and then switch it around. Um, this is kind of like that advanced last minute bit of the mix where we're using these plugins to really talk to each other. Um, and you know, it's like both of us are the same. We we just we can go in and talk about all of these different <clears throat> things and rabbit holes off every single topic. But like, let's go back again quickly to we've got all our stems laid out and they're all gains staged or they're they're all at the appropriate volume before we've done any mixing stuff yeah we then might tackle different instruments individually and make each sound pop nicely on its own both on its own and in the mix and like obviously that's a point we've stressed before about not mixing things in solo yeah and trying to have it as a cohesive part of the mix but it's very easy to get stuck when yeah. you're like solo something and then you think you've made it sound better and then you go and play the mix and you're like oh my god the guitars are really thin now because i took all of the low end out yeah because you thought it sounded better but yeah, yeah. so in terms of let's go through the instruments um I know I'll you start drum, with... I'll do drums first. Like, okay. like, let's say I've reamped the guitars and stuff, like what I was saying before, and I got the the amp tone. I'll probably go through the the drums and I'll just... I'll, I like to have everything on its own mixer channel because only for the control. Now... You mean like one kick, one snare, one... Yep. I mean, that's how it usually comes in with the mics. If you're recording a real kit, you've got <laughs> yeah. snare bottom, snare top. I know top, people like... One. People like grouping shit together because it's faster and more convenient. I just look, which is fine, but I like having, I want control over everything. If there isn't, if there's one fucking stem that's giving me an issue, I want to be able to control just that one stem. I don't want to be taking out a whistle in one stem, but I'm also taking out those same frequencies and two other stems that are grouped to the same bus and they didn't need that frequency taken mm -hmm. out because now I've taken away from two other stems that didn't need to be touched. 
essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah like the kick will be on one, the snare will be on two, the overhead's on three, the room mark on four, like blah, 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 blah. And then, again, also all the volume's done. Then I just do my basic, like, very, very light stuff that I know I'm going to do on every mix. So I know I'm going to take out boxiness in the kick. I know I'm going to... Um, add some slight saturation to the overheads and stuff like that. I know I'm going to, you know, EQ the low end off the snare because I don't want anything below like, you know, on 100 or whatever mm. on the snare. Like I don't want any sub on the snare, things like this. Um, then I'll bust them, you know, to their, to their groups and then I'll send them to a final drum bus. And then on my final drum bus, I'll do um, some uh, parallel compression because it just fucking sounds amazing with drums. And I always do like a 50-50 mix usually. Like I'll fucking slam it where if you were to solo it, it'd be like, like just like absolutely slam. But then you don't want your entire mix like that, right? You still want the natural acoustics of what the drums drums are doing, right? So you can blend it like 50-50 and parallel compress it. Um, that sounds really cool. And then I would use – I love using transient designers as well. Um I tend to use them not on the bus because I don't want to... Oh, do I use them on the bus? It depends on what I'm doing, but you can use them on the bus, but, you know, with all the, like, obviously on a drum bus, like, you've got so many sounds coming in, especially with all those, like, chinas and everything on shh, you know, all the, like, overhead stuff. Um, I'll use transient designers to manipulate the playing even more, especially if it's MIDI. And I'll pull back like the sustain and release and stuff of a sound to make the snare really snappy. And then on a chorus, I want everything like, like just right. I'll kind of let the sustain go a little bit longer and kind of let the sounds overlap just so slightly. And it kind of almost gives the perceived loudness or the perceived image that the drummer is hitting even harder, even though it's the exact same MIDI sample. Stuff like that works really well. Um, what else do I do? Yeah, just your basic, you know, compression and everything as well. And then a little a couple EQ moves. But I like to do the EQ moves on, like I said, on the individual elements. And I try to leave the bus like into just compressing. And I don't use a limiter um on my drums. Actually, I do I do use a limiter, but I use it as like a last, like just if the transient's just hitting past the threshold, it'll just duck it a little bit. But I don't I don't slam it into a limiter only because I find I lose too many too much dynamics when i do that and i'm already going to slam it in the master or at least i'm going to push it into that limiter in the master anyway and i don't want to slam it lose dynamics then go in the master slam it again lose even more dynamics and then everything just sounds like a brick which is like a lot of modern metal is like that you look at the mm. waveform if you drag and drop it you're like jesus christ it's just a brick yeah um but yeah do you want to have any comments on that or yeah well um i mean like it's hard to keep up because you're you're going so fast um <laughs> I think like if we're talking like a lot of these things that you're mentioning are very a kind of what I would call intermediate to advanced techniques that we're really kind thinking of. about. Well, kind of yes and kind of no. I mean, but it like, depends on where you're at, I suppose. Like, like to me, it just seems if, like normal. Well, true, but if if you've never if you're just getting into mixing a song, oh, yeah, yeah, you have yeah, no idea what all of these things are. <laughs> so, I think like you know, st uh, I'm I'm just gonna go through the the very basics as to what procedures i'm thinking about so with the drums you know like all of those things that you said absolutely spot on so the first thing you go through each individual sound and you might remove the crappy sounding parts of it and enhance the good stuff with eq so we're just trying to bring out the nice qualities and get rid of the shit qualities um you're doing that with each sound and then overall it's going to sound a little bit cleaner then on the bus channel which everything's routed to this one channel so you've got you can do all the effects to the whole drums at once. You can add things like that, the transient designer, the parallel saturation. Yeah, saturation and all of this. So, um, But what, what I would do initially is make sure each sound has the shit parts taken out of it or whatever with EQ. Then, as you say, you can use a little bit of compression if some of the sounds aren't hitting as hard or they're too pokey or especially with real drums, you know, we want to, you might have to be using gates so that you stop other You're drums bleeding through and all of this. Gates, yeah. So it's, you know, once you've got the basic sound and you can take out the, the bad qualities, compress it a little bit. If it is poking out, limit it. If not, 
try and leave it. But then we go onto the the bus channel and you've got a nice cohesive sounding drums. That's a good place to start in your mix. Yeah. Um, then we might like say turn to bass. We're going to do the same thing. We've got if if it's already amped, say it's an already amped tone, um, or you've you know you've gone through and you've done your DI and you're reamping. You've found a nice tone. Then again, we're just EQ shaping out any pokey frequencies or harsh things. We might use a little bit of compression to try and balance out the loud and the quiet parts if we need to. Um, we were certainly talking about bass before and the need to maintain a nice solid low end so that it's very consistent throughout the whole song and you're not having bits that are very loud and like quite obviously hitting you in the face and then parts where it feels like the bass is dropping out. That's yeah. where your compression gives you a bit of consistency. Yeah, I definitely like I'll, the bass is definitely the second thing that I'd go on to after drums because I want the bass to lock in with the kick drum, especially if the kick drum is accenting or the bass is accenting every kick. Like if the bass is getting picked, like every mm. note he picks is like in time with the kick, you can almost get this, you know, unison of the kick drum and the bass kind of like hitting at the same time. Make It makes it hit really hard. And because they're sharing the same frequency ranges as well, like the low end I'm talking about, you want your bass to be in unison with the kick in regards to levels and punchiness. If the bass is coming in way too hot in the low end and you don't have the limiter or compression on to stop it, but then um, in another section, you know, the waveform's too quiet or the way they play was too quiet, then your bass is like way down in volume. You kind of want everything sub 100 hertz to be like up front. So I'll usually raise the noise floor of my sub. I usually duplicate the bass into two stems. And I'll mix the top end of the bass separately to how I'd mix the bottom end of the bass, which is what Nolly Nolly pretty much started that like duplication technique. Um, without getting too crazy into it, essentially, I just want like what Jordan was saying. I want the low end to be consistent, loud. I I'll have a limiter on it where I don't want every time that bass tries to go too loud, which happens in bass a lot. It's really subby and heavy. I want to stop it from going to too far above in volume, but I also don't want it dropping too low in volume. I want to raise the noise floor and keep it at like this. Because that's the vibration. You're not even hearing the notes. You're feeling that sub 100 hertz. That's what you're going to feel. And that's important that that is at a consistent loud volume the whole time. And then I let all the dynamics be from like, you know, 120 hertz up or something or 200 whatever whatever you, you'll end up doing for whatever genre um and then yeah that's mixed differently so yeah and that goes into what you were saying before about remembering like if you're not mastering this then you don't have to worry but at least your mix needs to have headroom and be even throughout the whole thing so you don't want a frequency that on the on the master eq you can see at one point this big thing just spikes out the top and and that is what cam's talking about when you've got a ceiling a limiter ceiling on there that's what's going to hit the ceiling first so then that triggers everything else to be squashed yeah. because of that one yeah, pokey it's, sound it's very old yeah like you got to remember with a mark like when you're mixing you got to remember there's a mastering phase and some people mix a master at the same time that's Cool, yeah, so like I do I do that in a way where I'll have a ceiling already on my master channel so that I can hear things like that and hear how when it gets pushed into that or when I turn it up to to hear what it sounds like and switch it on and off, I can hear what's being hit first and where the compression is happening. And then you can fix it in the mix. Yeah, um, yes, because it, it does change. That. It does change. And unless you've got a really perfect mix that's, everything's exactly the same. Like you're going to get these variations once you start pushing the volume. Yeah. You've um, got to remember that on the master, when you get to mastering, every element of your mix is getting pushed at the exact same time. So if, if your mix isn't like this, there's obviously going to be things that are slightly louder, slightly quieter. That's dynamics. That's, mm. that's fine. But let's just say you want your mix at like one set level. If you have something that's up here and then the rest of your mix is down there, and then you don't know it because you don't have the best headphones or you don't have the best acoustics in your room or whatever, or maybe you just haven't trained your ear to pick up on things like that yet. You go to master, it's like, whoa, and now this is just part here is hits the ceiling and then that hits the threshold. That tells the plugin, oh, I need to start doing my job. And now by the time this sound reaches that, you've just squashed mm. everything and it just sounds like crap. Yeah, and that's that's a big one for bass, as you pointed out. So that, that does quite often happen. So, <clears throat> all right, so now we've got drums and we've got a consistent bass low end in there. Um, what's next for you? 
Um, I do vocals last. Yeah. Okay. Personally. So guitars maybe. Yeah, I'd go. I'd go to the guitars then, and then synths after that. So like, yeah, get the guitars. And another note between guitars and bass, I'll when reamping or amping your tone, I'll, or even just EQing. I don't EQ the bass in solo. I'll do the low end in solo because I'm trying to get that with the drums. But the other side of the bass, I'm trying to match that bass with the guitars. So I'm trying to find where the bass tone sits, where I can hear that nice top end clanky. You know, like any bass player knows what I'm talking about. I think it's usually around like 1K to 3K. There's like yeah. a really nice clankiness you get with the bass. You can hear the top end of those strings, the treble. I want that popping off and I don't want and I need to find that spot in the guitars, which like a lot of the time, like that's where you actually want to duck in the guitar. So it kind of works out perfect because it's no, there's no golden hertz rule of where shit's going to fall, but there's a rough kind of idea where usually around 1K and 3K in guitars, it's like just really mm. hissy and you're like, oh, I want to duck that. But in the bass, I can have some frequencies that I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. That gives that harshness top into the bass. So I can kind of, make the bass and the guitars work together. And I want to kind of marry them together and glue them together to work as one sound because they're kind of the same instrument. They're just yeah. an octave apart, right? So, yeah, I really want my bass tone and my guitar tone to sound similar, to work together, to be in time. That's why being in time is so important because mm. they won't gel together if the, if the recordings aren't tight. Yeah. It doesn't mean they need to play the same notes, but they need to be acting as like one unison yeah the intent needs to be headed in the same direction like you're not going to have a ding wall heavily distorted bass with a fender strat yeah bloody blues <laughs> guitar tone like it's, it just genre. doesn't yeah it really doesn't they don't fit together it's got to be a wall of sound that comes together and that's what we're, especially in metal that's very very full we've got all of this whole sound where you've got to fill it out and make it sound nice together as one cohesive thing and yeah. you know in time goes without saying but so with your guitars, then we've got the the amp tone. Um, most people already know you got hard left and hard right guitars because we're creating this stereo width, and you've got your bass down the middle. We'll go a little bit more into stereo width in a, in a sec. But yeah. how would you then how would you then balance those left and right guitars within what you've already got there? Yeah, so I'll go. You know, you have your left guitar on a on a mixer channel. And I would pan the mixer channel left, not the sample. I just yeah. that's a good tip. So I've seen some people pan the guitar sample. That means that guitar, that audio sample is gonna go into every plugin pan to the left. And not every plugin is made for stereo. Some plugins mm -hmm. are made for mono input, some plugins are made for stereo. It'll just the plugin's not gonna react with that sound properly if you don't have it entering the plugin properly. So that's important to know as well. So I pan, I'll have one on mixer channel eight, the other one on mixer channel nine, and I'll make Mixer channel eight left, mixer channel nine right, and then I'll unroute mixer channel left and unroute mixer channel right to the master. I'll take them off, send them to another channel, and then that's the guitar bus. And then I send the bus to the master, and then I mix from the from the guitar bus. And yeah. what you do is that way, if you need to go into just the left take by itself, you have the option to. And if you need to go on the right take by yourself, you have the option to. You always want to have give yourself as many options to fix a sound individually without affecting something else. Um, you know, so that's why we do that. And then when I start EQing and stuff, I always do a high pass and a low pass because I don't like anything below 100 hertz on a guitar. You can get down to 90 or 80 if you want. In lower tuning stuff, you probably would want to do that. You don't want it to be too thin. Um, and then anything from like 8,000 hertz and up, 10,000 hertz and up in a guitar, you do not need. It's just pure, it's not going to help your tone. Um, mm. I, 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 roll, I roll off the lows and highs. And with an EQ, I use a linear EQ um, because when you're working with something pushed hard left and hard right, you're going to like, you can get phasing issues when you start doing big EQ moves because people, a lot of people don't know when you do, when you use a normal EQ, um, if you do really big EQ moves, especially on something like st a stereo wide as hard left and hard right, you can start phasing things out and you can actually make the sound sound way worse mm. um, without using linear. So I switch my EQ to a linear mode. Um, and then, yeah, I'll just, it, again, it depends on the tone, but I'll just do a bit of EQing with the, with the bass as well. I'll EQ the bass, EQ the guitars, EQ the bass, EQ the guitars till they sound like they're both sitting as one element. And then um, I will then listen to the rest of the song 
and let the rest happen. I try, I've recently, I've actually started doing less to the guitars and I found out that it sounds way better. So instead of taking out all the mud and trying to take out all these like, you know, boxy elements, I might take away, besides the high pass and low pass, take away a couple whistles here and there, take away around 180 to like 250 hertz of like mud. But other than that, I leave the tone the fuck alone. And I leave uh, I leave the mids. The guitars are a mid-range instrument and most speakers you listen to are going to hear that mid-range as well. So yeah, I like to keep it like that because when I start doing the side chaining later on the vocals coming in, the vocals are going to be ducking a lot of those guitars anyway. So you don't want to go in there with an EQ, duck, 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 take away, take away, take away, take away. Then you're like, oh, I'm going to side chain the vocal. And then the vocal's taking away, taking away. And you go, why do my guitars sound so thin? And like, mm. you know, because you're just taking away. You're just taking and taking and taking. And it's like, just fucking leave sounds alone sometimes, you know? Yeah, and that, and that goes back to us saying get it right at the source. And, like, you know, most people, if they've got a decent live tone, it should be already kind of mixed to the point where it sounds good on its own and sounds good as part of the band. So you'd hope that all of that's kind of done for you and you don't have to be doing too much mucking around with tones. It's literally just taking out a whistle here and there and balancing it. And you see those um, URM-like ones where they they get their multi-tracks dropped in and they already sound really good. They used yeah. to piss me off all the time before I knew what was going on because I subscribed to their mixing services and stuff. And I'm like, obviously your mixes are going to sound good when the multi-tracks you're getting, they already sound good. Like, mm. And I was like, I didn't understand that, you know, it was because these professional bands are getting their fucking stems down right so when they do get sent off to the mixing engineer, they're already like blocked mm. out. They're already loud. And, the, and that's, yeah, because the producer or even the guitarist himself knows how to make the DI sound good, run it through the amps and cabs, and then it's coming out the other side already decent. They'll probably do the lining up and different stuff before it even hits the mix engineer. The mix engineer doesn't usually do that. It's a some bands thing. don't even use DI. They'll record DI because it's always good to have it. But some some would just mic, uh, mic up a cab. Well, and, uh, how, yeah, it's how it used to be done <laughs> before you could reamp and change your tones. But yeah, so if you if you do have your guitars in, um, you know, then you've got them routed to a bus channel or another channel you can then affect the entire guitar sound on. Um, you know, we, we try and do a little bit of mid-side EQ to balance out the phasing issues. That's something that you should look into if you really want to know all about that. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, so we've got guitars. They're, they're sitting nicely. We then can <clears throat> add in I got probably... A then. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Add in all of the backing stuff for the instrumental um, so that you yeah. can have the instrumental sounding really good on its own before we layer in vocals. Um, it depends, again, on very much with your synth choices as to where they might sit in the mix. You might have some backing strings or some ethereal stuff that really just fills out the wide stereo image and doesn't come up front and take over anything. So most of the time you can sort of do that by pushing back with uh, reverbs or delays or just sort of push things back to the mix, take off the transients. Um or you might have a synth that's very upfront and it needs to be powerful and it needs to be saturated and aggressive or whatever it might be. You've then got to treat each sound intentionally as to where it's going to be in the song. Yeah, that's probably the most important part is going like, what is this element? What is this stem, if individual stem doing to the song? What, what's its purpose, right? We're not trying to make everything loud and everything full and everything up front. You're not trying to hear 20 layers at the same time. Mm. You want it to sound like it's one cohesive thing that kind of dynamically moves and something that's supposed to be loud in that moment is loud, but then 20 seconds later in the song, it takes a back step. Now something else is up front. It's kind of like water interacting and moving and the sounds are moving together in unison and all in the same volume and levels so that nothing is fighting anything, right? And I think the stereo shaping is important, especially when it comes to synths. I like to use synths like as to carry frequencies that aren't being utilized. So I like the synths being from 8K and up, nice and sparkly and lots of treble, not hissy or anything, but controlled because I know that I'm rolling off the guitars and I'm rolling off a lot of that high end with most of my stems. I'm only keeping the overheads and some of the vocal in that in that high end hissiness. So like that's good to have the synths fill that out. 
Um, and then since filling out a lot of the mid range, because I know with the bass and the guitars, I'm taking away not I wouldn't say mids, more like low mids where the mud is. So I can kind of let synths sit in that like low mid range so we don't get rid of too much of that, you know, because we're getting rid of a lot of boxiness with a lot of the sounds, but then you kind of get a bit of a thin mix or mm. like that. Um, so, yeah, and then I like doing 100% wet, like 0% dry with a lot of the pads and leads and things like this in, on a send, on an effect send. And then you can kind of blend that in with the dry sound on the other on the other mixer channel, and that way you can have the wet the wet sound really wide. Like you can just make it like left and right wide. And then you're talking about like reverbs and delays, reverbs and, and stuff delays and as stuff, wet effects yeah. as wet effects. And then you can and then you have them on their own fader, so you can like you can have them like negative eighteen. Like they're just you know you can't really hear them, but if you mute it, it's like oh the song's missing something. Mm. That's that's what's really cool. It's like you don't really hear it but you unmute it and you mute it again. Like you can tell when it's on and when it's off. It just has that, especially with vocals and leads and synths and things like this, they all just sit quietly underneath and it carries this like bottomness and width of the song. And the song has all these ping pong, like kind of mm. like sounds going back and forth. And it allows you to go a bit harder on the sounds that are up front. You can have a nice compressed saturation, really distorted, not really distorted, but like up front. And then, if they're more staccato-y or more like they're kind of like have breaks and they and the volume stops, you have that consistent long-tailed reverb delays that are just constantly like a breath of fresh air just under the track kind of... It gives it life and it gives it a space. And a it space. Gi- yeah. It gives it a space. I think that's the best way to explain yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it's like... Acoustics almost. Yeah, because as you said about having sort of a sense that sort of shimmer across the top and and things like this... It gives it a um, less of a dry in your face sound. So, like often people will add things like slap delays or really short reverbs to things, so that it gives it a space and a sense of realism. Like never are we listening to music in a completely acoustically silent room. So you've always got some sort of reverberation or or space within that sound. So if you can make all your instruments and and the whole song in general sound like it's in a very similar space and it's in an intentional space, then that adds so much quality to your sound. And if you're listening on headphones and things like this, it just really immerses you into that world. Yeah. Um, a lot of, you know, say the, the work that I did with club music is a lot of club systems are mono systems. Mm. So you have to be really careful about how much of the sounds you're putting in the stereo field because they can often get lost and, and phase as well they can phase the fuck out yeah like a mono system's not going to play a stereo no so all these wide nice things that you've got going on aren't actually translating on the mono on the mono system so i had to find ways of trying to create space that's still effective through a mono system so talking about that as well with the stereo field um you know, you've got left, center, and right, but you also have what I would call front and back. So you've got things, as you say, that are in your face and then things that are in the background. But then you've also got like a an up and down space and then like almost like a diagonal space and a revolving around like a... Yeah, that you can you can put things in very specific places these days. You can also push parts of the left signal into the right and parts of the right signal into the left, and that's when you get like the phasey stuff, which a lot of plugins do this to create width. But if you create too much width, it'll start pushing like left and right, stuff and out. Start, the, the polarity like starts fucking um, cancel phasing, yeah, phasing and canceling each other out, which is why we talk about mid side EQ because you can have the mono part of the signal not clash with anything. So you can, you don't have to roll it off. You can just have it perfect. But the side, the sides, like you have on the, in the side part of the stereo field might be clashing with something else. So you can run an EQ and only do the side and roll it off at like 120, 150, whatever. And you still get the sound. Like it doesn't, it makes the sound slightly thinner, but you won't have any of that phasing clashing. And when you mute it and unmute it, I'm telling you, it's one of the biggest things in a mix. So I go, holy crap. Like that's just opened up 
Mm. The, the, it just sounds clean now. Like before it sounded like something was fighting and there was mud or something and then you just do that tiny little change and then you mute it and unmute it and you go, whoa. That, like, yeah, fixed it's understanding where the sounds are supposed to sit in the stereo field as well. Everything like, has its own place. Yeah, so all of our bass, kick, snare, uh, main vocal, um, all of this is usually down the middle. So yep. you're not going to have a snare drum panned hard left. Like it just <laughs> it, it doesn't work. and. Yep. Um, it doesn't sound real. So we've got we've got to have all of our main elements. Usually it's like a, a V shape. So if you imagine a V, down the bottom in the center of the V, you've got your bass and your kick and your snare and your main vocal. And then as you sort of branch out towards the edges of the V is where your guitars start to come in and your synths and all of this and, and as, as it gets wider up near the top end. So... Yeah. Have that sort of visual in your head. Um, think with a bit more of a, you know, surround sound kind of mindset where you're going, okay, I might, this is a background element. It's a wide element. It's not an upfront element. Yeah. And and just play around with these, these intentional choices um, with your stereo field. You can also have your dry sound that's up front. And it doesn't have to be dry, dry, but we're just using it as a, as a way of communicating what we're trying to say. You have your dry sound up the front, let's say it's a vocal, and then you have a send where you've duplicated the vocal um, to another mixer channel. So the same vocal is being played twice on two mixer channels. And then what you would do is your your send would be 100% wet. So like every reverb and delay you put on, there's no dry signal left. It's only the reverbed yeah. wet sound. Then you have control over that and you blend the wet sound in with the dry. And then what you can do is you can even sidechain that wet signal to the dry sound so what happens is when the dry sound is coming in the delay or the reverb ducks a little bit and in between every little breath where the vocal stops you get that you get feels the, you, the you gap. feels the gap and then it goes away again then it feels the gap because a lot of people would just slap a reverb straight onto their main vocal and it's just it's it'll sound good initially but if you're mixing not not the way to do it. Like, and if you're adding reverb on reverb on, on reverb, reverb on you're reverb, you're just creating all this mud, and then you're boosting it later and mastering, and you're like, "What? Well, I don't get why it's all. Why is it so muddy? I don't know where the mud's coming from." It's because you, you got 17 instances of the same reverb. So it's like instead of using one reverb per every single vocal layer, you might bust all the vocals to one thing, and then you've got that wet sound, as you say, that you blend in. Yeah, and that'll allow you to have a longer tail, because I normally I do short tail delays and short tail reverbs, but if I'm doing it as a send, you can kind of get away with having a bit of a stronger reverb, a bit of a longer tail, because it's getting ducked, and it's not fighting that main vocal when it's coming in, and it's only coming in during the breaks and during when that vocal stops. Um, I think listening to a lot of acapellas, um, Motionless and White are awesome for this. They upload them on their YouTube, really easy to look up, and you can just hear like how edited it is and i don't mean that in a bad way i just mean like you can really hear as a producer or a mixing engineer like oh they're really like side chaining this they're really using this reverb oh, i can see that when he stops that vocal it's this really long delay that comes in um and it's just good to listen to i suppose yeah so i think like you know once you've got all of these elements kind of balanced and, and where you're at that's that's where you would go into these so yeah, these in more intentional uh, tr mixing choices that this is where it kind of defines who you are as a mixing engineer and where you get your kind of sound from is how you then place all of these sounds and the emphasis you put on stuff. But once you've got all the mix working together and then, you know, you can, as Cam says, you can go in and sort of dynamically work all these sounds to be breathing and working together cohesively, you've got your, your final mix. Now... What I tend to do once I've kind of gone, all right, I'm happy with how that sounds. You're still, it's still, you know, six decibels at least headroom. Like we're not pushing it into a, a, a limiter yet. But what I'll do is I'll listen to that mix after a few days off um, on multiple different speaker systems. Now, it's really important to do that because of translation. And what I mean by translation is having say, a really solid low-end and great-sounding drums in your studio on your set of monitors and then you go and pick up a pair of Apple earbuds and all of a sudden it's just kicking you in the face, no one's going to be able to listen to it and it's going to sound crap because as much as we don't like it, most people listen on 
iPhones or Apple earbuds or little Bluetooth speakers and things like this. So we need to make them sound good across every speaker system. And that's that's very difficult. So that's you why you gotta nail the mid range. Yeah. Because most most, you know, speakers are a mid range. You know, the the very low end is gone and the very high end treble is gone. It's just mid range. So that's why everyone's like, oh my mix is muddy. I need to take they just take away, take away, take away from the mid-range, and then you wonder why your song sounds empty and thin on, like, speakers and stuff. That's yeah. probably why. So m listen across different speakers, make notes, and then try and work out a middle ground where you can basically have your song sounding as good as possible across as many different speaker systems as possible. And when you're happy with that and it sounds cohesive across everything else, then time for mastering. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think I have much else to add. Like it's, I spoke, we spoke about most of the main things. Like, like we said, nothing is a be all end all. It's just things to keep in mind. Mm. Every mix is going to be different. Every track is going to be different. Depends. It really all depends on what your outcome is. There's no like golden Hertz rule where you need to like, this hurt needs to be ducked and this and that. There's no settings. There's no ratio or threshold that you must hit with compressors that's going to sound good. It literally depends on what you're trying to do. In metal, we can get away with pushing it a bit more, clipping, hard clipping, distorting, saturating. That's what we're looking for because that's the genre, but that's not going to correlate on other mixes. Yeah, like pop songs, you want it super clean. So, yeah, it's it's taking what you've done and then no, like understanding all of these techniques and then knowing the situation in which to use them. And that's where you become a skilled mixing engineer. It's it's not using every single one of the tools in your arsenal on every single mix. And it's not, as you say, copying all of these mixed cheat sheets that everybody gives out and says, duck this here, and, and then it's copy-paste on every mix. <clears throat> it's knowing the skills that you have to make the sound, the, the, one, the end result that you want, and knowing when to use it and how much to use and then balancing that. And that only comes from practice and experience and trying different things. And if it's not right at the source, get it right at the source. Don't try to polish a turd because it's not going to do you <laughs> Drive any you up the wall. <laughs> it's not going to do you any favors. And then, you know, if you're mixing on behalf of clients um, and, you're, and you're trying to mix their crappy stems, you're going to be the guy that's, oh, you, you mixed my song shit. Yeah. And you're like, well, you gave me shit stems. Sorry. Mm. So you have to, it's just one of those things. If your stems are crap, your mixing's going to be crap. Get yeah. it right at the source, record it properly, um, and you'll be sweet. Yeah, cool. And then I guess, like, I'll just touch on mastering, even though, you know, it's, it's, it should, you shouldn't have to do much at this stage. But essentially, what the mastering engineer will do is make your song loud and at, a volume that is ready for streaming platforms or CDs or whatever it might be. And it's at, it's not pushing past zero decibels. It's not going to blow the speakers that it's pumped through. It's at a consistent loud volume ready for radio or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I might do in a master, I might do a little bit of stereo automation or something where, you know, let's say a song's building up, you know, I might, you, you never go 100% because that'll be ridiculous, but you would like, you can slightly make the song start going more mono and then boom, it opens up to being really stereo again. Um, you mm. only do this slightly because if you do it too much, it throws your sound off, but it can be a cool way of doing, you know, making the yeah. song go a little bit thinner Then when the breakdown hits, boom, it's really wide. And that like, could also be a mixing thing for a mix engine, I suppose, too, like on yeah. the next bus or, or whatever it is, you can add these extra things. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that puts you in a position where you can start having a go, having a crack. These days, it it's so easy to get started. Like you can get free versions or basic as versions of all of these things. They've got stock plugins that are just easy to use. It's like, why, why not get started? Because everybody's got the capabilities and it's heaps of fun. Like we, we love being able to do it and it makes you understand the process way better. It's so, only going to make you a better yeah. musician. Like you, you don't have to be a mixing engineer. You don't have to be a producer. But if you're a guitarist, a vocalist, a bassist, like drums probably not so much because it's probably harder. No, even, no, even still, you need to know how it's going to end up and what's going to happen in yeah, the process true. so you can help that as much as possible yeah like if you're like you know if you're a guitarist and you want like your songs to be as best as they can kind of knowing how to get the best guitar tone 
or at least how to get the best recordings of your DI and let someone re let a professional reamp it. Even that, like, oh, I'm gonna make sure I'm not peaking and clipping. I'm gonna make sure my my battery, if it's active pickups, is new. My strings are new. You know, I'm gonna get. That all comes back to the other video of recording. But yeah, like, just try and get the best multi tracks down as you can. Um, and it, it's only gonna make it easier. Um, in the mixing phase. So sweet, cool. Well, I reckon we wrap it up there. Um. We could go into so much more detail. There's so many nuances to all of this. Um, but take, as you said, what we said with a grain of salt, and uh, hopefully you can make something of it. So thanks very much for listening. That's episode 33, done and dusted. Yeah, and just be on the lookout for more tutorials in the future. Obviously, um, you know, limited time with new work and stuff, but I'll try and get something up soon for you. And yeah. if you have any questions, just like, like subscribe, comment, like we're, like we said on every damn video, we re we're trying to make a community. And if you don't comment and like, and share and subscribe, it's not gonna get it out. Yeah. And it helps us reach other people and we want to answer your questions. And if you've got yeah. anything you reckon that we screwed up or it's wrong, or you, you've got some advice to offer, throw it in. Cause then in the comments, other people will read that and then they'll be able to make the adjustment and then everybody can learn. We're from all trying each other. to learn from each other. And that's why we get these guests on that are in like big bands that are literally touring all the time. And we're trying to get bigger guests on. And we have we have no limitations on, you know, where we can be. So we wanna keep getting people in the industry that can share their knowledge that have, you know, we might even get a mixing engineer on, um, on one of the episodes this year. We'll try and reach out to a few that have worked on some big bands and they're like, Hey man, and like get even more of, they might, they, they'll teach us. You'll, you'll literally will see them teaching me and Jordan in real time. Well, I've already, yeah, I've already learned from loads of guests and yeah. like things that I thought were one way. It's, it's another way. It's all the process of it. And it's great to be able to share that with everybody because there's so many struggles and things that we go through that I'm sure everybody else does. And it's just nice to have somebody else to just be like, yo, we're feeling the same thing. We're going through the same shit. Like we just want to be able to kind of make everyone feel a little bit more in inclusive and, and like we're all in this together and there are ways in which we can make this work for us. So That's why we're so transparent with stuff just being absolutely upfront. Most bands keep things to themselves and you only ever see them when they're on top of the world releasing an album and look how good we are and look how look at our artwork and da da da. We're trying to be more humble and down earth and being like, hey, like this is all the mistakes we made. This is where we stuffed up. Mm -hmm. Like this is where we didn't do this right. And hey, we learned this. We want to teach you like all of this cool stuff that can help you guys get better, help you guys learn um, so, yeah, just keep the engagement up. We really appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you on the next episode. All right. Peace out. Bye.